God, we continue to live through days that bring frustration and loneliness, anguish and despair, and emotional and physical distance. For so many, work and school and family and even everyday tasks are more difficult, more exasperating, and more stressful. And for some, the way of life that was so ordinary before is now potentially harmful. The days that we are leading stymie us and can leave us completely befuddled. In light of all of this, in the midst of all of this, though, God, we find you. We find not only you, but we find your steadfast love for all people. We find your liberating grace and life-giving peace. Help us to see that among the various ways life is depleting and difficult, you are there. You are there with light and encouragement and companionship for our days. Not only that, you are grieving with us. You are crying with us. You feel our pain of isolation with us. When the mystery and predictability of our days leaves us downhearted, may we look for you, for your presence, for your embrace of who we are. May we find joy in achievements big and small. May we rejoice in our time with our families and loved ones. May we discover all around us the evidence of your persistent care, laughter, friendship, support, beauty of creation, wisdom, and kindness. As we strive to live as disciples of a welcoming, inclusive, bold, and humble Christ, we pray together the prayer that he taught us, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The witness of scripture this morning comes from Exodus chapter 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because God has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against God, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, 
Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for God has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat.
On her deathbed, Gertrude Stein is said to have asked, what is the answer? And then after a long silence, what is the question? So Frederick Beekner suggests we don't start looking into the Bible for the answers it gives. We start by listening for the questions it asks. And in that, we have a plethora of material, do we not? Am I my brother's keeper? Who am I? Who shall I say sent me? What is truth? Who is my neighbor? How can anyone be born again after having grown old? Who are you, Lord? These are but the tip of the proverbial iceberg. So may I suggest that in the midst of these trying times, we listen to the questions. In turning to today's witness of Scripture, for example, it is all too easy to be taken in by the miraculous and mysterious and miss the question. Who, or literally, what are we? In this classic narrative of the Hebrew people traversing the Sinai Peninsula where troubles abound, The people grumble, and I suggest rightly so. For there is no question that slavery in Egypt was detestable. There is no question that the plagues were inexplicable. There is no question that the blood on the doorpost was a strange but effective maneuver. There is no question that the effect of Moses reaching across the waters of the Red Sea with the shepherd's staff was a ridiculous but stunning maneuver. And there is no question that the crossing of the sea was positively miraculous. And yet, nothing Nothing had prepared this people for the rest of the journey. They were simply a horde of folk that, according to numbers, resembled the population of Houston, walking into the Sinai Peninsula without any sustainable source of food or water. Quite naturally, then, they gripe, they complain, they grumble. They even challenge the merits of their newfound freedom. It's as if they say, what gives, Moses? What are you thinking, Aaron? You got another song of victory for us, Miriam? In Egypt, we may have indeed had a daily grind, but we also had Gordon Lagasse and Bobby Flay, rice-stuffed vegetables, grape leaves, fish, figs, dates, melons, leeks, onions, garlic, and bread. Lots of bread. That buffet of delectables was a far sight better than these sands of time. So, as Moses was to learn over and over again in this outrageous assignment, 
trampling around the wilderness with this people was going to be anything but a thrill. And yet, it was the mission he had accepted. So he stayed the course and in the midst of their complaints invoked the powers of the one who had given him those marching orders in the first place and who, oh, by the way, had promised to be with him. As he had already learned, these people may indeed be without the normal resources of life, but they were not without God. So Moses prayed. God listened, and God intervened. It's just that God intervened with the most unusual, early-in-the-morning concoction imaginable, a stuff called manna, and what appears to be a rather rare evening occurrence of migrating quail. In my military days, I thought sea rations and MREs were a challenge, but this dehydrated manna stuff must have been something else. Even the Hebrews didn't know what to do with it. Didn't even know what it was. They said, what is it? And the truth is, no one knows what that biblical manna stuff was to this day. Oh, there's a lot of speculation. That's high theology, you understand. And even some scientific possibilities. There's real stuff out there today called manna. Some chefs use it. You find it in Turkey. You find it in India and other places. But what was this biblical stuff? The truth is it remains an unknown flaky substance that apparently had a very short shelf life. So much so that it had to be gathered like hoarfrost early in the morning before the sun's heat had a chance to melt it. Sounds delightful, doesn't it? So in passing this news on to the people, Moses and Aaron, who were by this time themselves disappointed and discouraged, deflected the blame. Who, or again, literally, what are we that you should complain against us? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. You see, it's the Lord's fault. But in that futile attempt at deflection, they did pose a rather enigmatic question. Who are we? What are we? With nothing but a self-proclaimed divine commission, that was something to consider. And no doubt something the entire procession had to be contemplating as well. Because they knew what they had been, but what were they now? Whereas they had once been indentured servants, they were suddenly a free people. Free to choose, free to roam free to stroll away from Egypt and free to walk right into the Sinai without so much as a Pizza Hut or a Gabarino's. 
They were a people with grand possibilities, and yet a people without a country or even the basic resources to start one. So who were they? What were they? If, like Aaron and Moses, they could see it, They were indeed a people in difficulty, yes. They were indeed a people in need, yes. But not without God. Now, for some, parts of this narrative are incredulous. For example, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, and two other references in the book of Numbers, and as I've already alluded there were over 600,000 able-bodied fighting men, 20 years of age or older, plus women, children, elderly, old men on walkers, and their livestock marching across an arid countryside sustained only by the supplies they could carry from Egypt, a flaky substance now called manna, and a migration of quail. So for some... This huge number of people in such dire circumstances stretches the realm of probability. It's just too incredible to believe. But even if these reservations have merit, it doesn't mean that the gist of the story is not true. It's just possible that the details have been embellished over time and perhaps on purpose. Hyperbole used by the collator to substantiate his own theological conviction that God was and is a constant presence and a powerful, compassionate source of care. Either way, fact or embellishment, This story is our story. Too real, too painful, too often. Like today, in this wilderness called COVID. A perfect time for waking in the morning and asking, Who are we? What are we? What is it? Among other possibilities, we too are at least a troubled people, frustrated by sheltering in place, consumed by isolation and social distancing, inundated with partisan politics, saddened by racial divides, disturbed by the angst and anger that seems pervasive throughout the global community, and grieved by the devastation wrought by the forces of nature, Hurricane after hurricane and forest fire on top of forest fire. But not without God. Like the Israelites of the Exodus, we are a vulnerable people too, thriving on a flaky substance called hope. Life is out of sorts, leaving us subject to even the most minute, microscopic threats that on the one hand challenges, but on the other inspires faith. 
For faith and hope are rooted in the conviction that regardless of how bad things may be, there has to be a morning after, a new story that's waiting to be told, something we have not yet seen, felt, or experienced. On the soundtrack of the 1973 dramatic adaptation of the little novella entitled Jonathan Livingston's Seagull by Richard Bach, Neil Diamond included this short musical poem. Dear Father, we dream. We dream. We dream while we may. Who are we to need? We need. We need while we wait. While we wait. So as we move through these days of disorientation and unrest, wandering through the wildernesses. We wait. And we dream. So that in the morning when we ask, what is it? Who are we? What are we? We can honestly say, the people in need even with complaints, but not without God. Amen.